and chapter 20. We think about service uh, to the church and laboring for the cause of Christ in the church. Our greatest example for uh, servanthood is, of course, our Savior. We want to look at that this evening, a text that you're all very familiar with, I'm sure. And that is Matthew chapter 20, and then verses 20 down through uh, 28. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this evening? Let's hear the Word of the Lord. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, oh, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. You are, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand are not mine to grant, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to prayer. Pray for the proclamation of the word this evening. Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would cause this portion of your scriptures to be profitable to our sanctification. I pray that you would be with me as I preach this text. I pray that you would be with the congregation as they hear this text. And though it's something familiar with us, our God, we pray that you would bring it to bear upon our hearts and minds. Lord, we ask you to use this to change us, to grant that we become more like Christ. Now we examine our hearts and lives, we see that we fall far short of being what you call us to be, of doing the things you would have us to do. For we are so often interested mainly in our own wants and desires. And Father, help us, we pray, this evening, to come before you with humble hearts and saying, Teach us, Lord Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It has been down through the ages of history that those that are considered to be great, have done great things and accomplished great things, whether it's in music. who's a great musician, Beethoven, who did great, wonderful things. Uh, who was wonderful in science, well, Thomas Edison, so on and on it would go. And as we think about who we consider in our own day and age, at least the country considers great in our own day and age, as powerful political leaders, as people that are wealthy. And that's the worldly way of thinking. But Jesus do not think that way. This is so profound what happens here in this text. As you know, uh, James and John obviously were talking to their mama. And they asked their mama, or maybe it was her idea, I don't know. But they say, would you go ask Jesus to let one of us, and because we are so humble, we don't care what side we sit on. Right or the left doesn't matter. If it's on one side or the other, we want to be there because we are humble men. And if he's on the right, I'm okay. We can change once in a while. And if I'm on the left, it's okay. So she goes and she asks Christ for this. And as just we read a moment ago, he said, you don't know what you're asking. That's not for me to give, but for those for whom it has been prepared. It is then 
a reflection upon the eternity of God, eternity past. That this is something that has already been established in ages back before the world even began. And so Christ brings that to their attention. This is not for me to give. It's for those who has already been prepared for them. And as you know, the other disciples heard this, and they're upset about it. Who do you think you are, you boys, you brothers, asking for such a position when we really deserve it? I mean, y'all are no better than the rest of us. And what makes you think you should have the privilege of one sitting on the right hand of Christ in his kingdom the other sitting on the left hand of Christ in his kingdom. And it's interesting. Jesus again and again and again had to rule these guys in, correct them, and instruct them, which is what he has to do here. And as he brings them into a corner with him, as he brings them in a circle around him, whatever exactly it was, uh, it is that he begins to talk about, well, what really is greatness? So far as I exhibit it, so far as God would consider it in this evening, you see that Christian's greatness uh, is epitomized in the humble life of Jesus. The epitome of Christian greatness is uh, demonstrated in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first thing is, uh, Jesus uh, is the model uh, of Christian service. And again, uh, as we think of how the world thinks and what we consider great and what they would consider great throughout the world, oh, that was a great power, a great success, a great intellect, a place at the university of, of great prominence, accumulation of possessions and uh, the position and so forth. Well, all of these are certainly impressive from the world's point of view. Listen to this. They don't mean a thing to God. Not a thing. Everybody, how much money you have doesn't mean a thing to God. What matters to God, what matters to Christ, do you love him? Are you seeking to serve him? That's what matters to Jesus. And so here then, uh, God does not think of greatness as the world does. And uh, if you want to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says here in verse 26, um, it shall not be so among you. There's a contrast here. Uh, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. So Jesus appears uh, to his own life, appeals to his own life as an example of what true humility is. And certainly uh, there is no better example of humility uh, than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about it. Uh, Christ was eternal. The Son of God Worshipped and adored through eternity, or since the creation by the angels, content within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this one, who created all things by the word of his power, who owns all things, took flesh upon himself. You remember it says in the book of Colossians, all things were made through him and for him. They are his possession. Well, this great God of all creation, this great God who rules over the universe, took flesh upon himself. And what a splendid, splendid uh, example of true humility that God should become a servant, that God should become a man. And he is becoming to the world as a servant. And certainly to be a servant requires humility. It requires selflessness to be a servant. Many of us don't want to serve. Have you ever complained about serving? I don't want to do that. Why didn't somebody else do that? I did it last time. 
I really don't want to do that again. It's for the church. I know it's for the church. But I don't want to do it again. Get somebody else. Do we need to share the responsibility? <laughs> Scripture says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, there's a proper time to talk to say, would God just, would, can somebody help me with it or whatever the case may happen to be? We can do that kind of thing without grumbling and complaining. So here, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, he uses it by saying, uh, as his example, just as. Now, here's a contrast. In the text, in verse uh, 28, it says, even as, instead of just as, the Son of Man uh, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, Christ is saying here, if you want to be someone uh, that really is pleasing to God, uh, then it is one who does not seek position. It's one who does not seek the accolades of others. Rather, it's one who places himself in a position of servanthood. That that's very pleasing to God. Just as Christ says, as I came into the world not to be served. And understand this, what would have been quite appropriate for the disciples to adore him and to serve him. And yet that's not why Jesus came into the world. Uh, he came to serve us. That's remarkable. That the living God took on flesh to serve us. And he serves us today, does he not? He makes intercession for us all the time. He comes and protects us and guides us throughout the days of our lives. This great God who is, again, the epitome of servanthood. So Christ serves us in two ways. He is our example uh, of what it means to serve others. It is uh, as he would serve others. We, we must, to be like him, serve in sincerity, care for them, love them. And in this great text, as you know it, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That was the climax. That was the zenith of the servanthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he gave himself upon the cross of Calvary to be the sacrifice of our sins. Now, we do not neglect to take care of ourselves. But we do think of others first. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Does that verse mean anything to you? If you're going to be a servant of Christ, if you're going to be a servant of the church, it's good to do that. Consider others more important than yourself. Again, that is something that we tend to have trouble with because we'd like to have our way. We like to be first. But if we're going to be like Christ, then we do what he says here, what Paul says, consider others as more important than yourselves. And that goes a long way to bringing peace in the church and to establishing the church on the road to building. So Jesus came into the world to be a servant. Uh, he had all the rights of divine privilege, but he came into the world not to be served, as he says here, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And you think about the power that Jesus displayed in his life. He raised the dead. He calmed the sea. You remember what the disciples said when he was standing on the deck of the ship and the storms there and the, the waters tossing the ship around without effort? And they're scared. And they wake him up. And he says, oh, you of little faith. And then he speaks to the wind. And it stops blowing. And the sea calms down. So be water skiing on it. Be great. Flat like ice. Like glass. He speaks to it. Do you remember what the disciples said? What kind of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey his voice. 
Well, it was God. It was Christ, God in the flesh, who had all this power. And yet this God who had these great power, who controlled the weather, who was able to heal uh, the deaf and heal the blind uh, and accepted personal worship and forgave sins. This man came to serve us. He came into the world by setting aside his eternal glory. We know that from John 17, 5, where Jesus says, Father, glorify thy son with the glory thy son had before the beginning. He's looking back at the time within the Godhead and the glory they all shared together as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Christ, not setting aside his deity. I heard a, a popular TV preacher. Y'all would know him if I mentioned his name. Who said this? Christ set aside his deity when he took on flesh. That's heresy. Absolute heresy. He did not set aside his deity. He was fully and truly God and truly and fully man. So that when, the, when Christ was on the earth, you didn't go from a, a, a triune God to a dual God. But you just had the Father and the Spirit there. And all three persons of the Godhead were still there. So the incarnation was not a subtraction. It was an addition. The second person took flesh upon himself. As he came into the world. So he set aside his glory. So then when he came into the world, he came as one who was uh, humble. Uh, one who came into the city riding on a donkey. Uh, one who you would in no way just think that this one was the eternal son of God. Full of glory and power and majesty. When he comes back again, that's what we'll see. We'll see his majesty. We'll see his glory. It says in the scriptures, all will bow before him and acknowledge and confess that Christ is Lord. Well, the third thing then is that uh, Jesus' servanthood reached his uh, zenith when he went to the cross of Calvary. The sacrifice of Jesus was promised in the Old Testament, going back to Genesis 3. Y'all all know that. You've heard me mention that several times. It was typified in the sacrifices. It was uh, seen in the sacrifice of Isaac where uh, God stopped Abraham and he offered the lamb, ram instead of Isaac. Romans, I mean, uh, Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, Paul, that uh, Christ quotes on the cross. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our iniquities. All these places in the Old Testament foretell the sufferings of Christ on the cross of Calvary. He came for that purpose, to give himself a sacrifice for many. And it was clearly a substitutionary sacrifice. We know that. That's why Christ said on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was tasting the wrath and condemnation that you and I deserve for our sins. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. that We might become the righteousness of God in him. And by his death, he secured our place in glory. There was a, um, we were at the Newcombs not long ago. It was a, somebody's birthday or something. I can't remember. But this young man who had some challenges, um, obviously had some challenges, had on a T-shirt that said, Jesus has a place for me in heaven. That's great. Expression of faith. Jesus has a place for me in heaven. Well, as uh, we have this evening... Two men that are going to be uh, ordained and installed as deacons in the church. Reminded that this is a spiritual office. It's an office that you are gifted for it by God. God's placing you in it in his providence. And you labor in it as one who is seeking to serve our Lord. 
And listen to what is written in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. I will leave you with this. And this is not simply for you men, but for everyone here this evening. As Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Listen to it, everybody. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The first question to the little catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So as you men do your work, as you in the congregation labor for the church, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray.